Hi, Tim. Hi, Ryan. No, that was an excited hi, Tim. Like, hi. Hi, Ryan. That wasn't a hi, Tim. I don't like being here. That was a, I guess, not flirty, but like, hey, Tim. We're back at it, and I'm excited. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, hello. We're back at it. You know, about, we I've been it? working on my Jeff Goldblum. And? Yeah. I figured out that if I just go, uh, 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 yes, <laughs> well, hello, I, I can start to get in the range. <laughs> it's a work in progress, though. Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, um, I, uh, Ryan, I, um. Exactly. Um. And where where are we? What is this? <laughs> where are this we? is episode one hundred twenty one of Dismembering Horror, the podcast shoe, where myself Ryan McDuffie and myself Jeff Goldblum, Tim Asin, Tim Asin, God damn it. <laughs> yeah, Tim, <laughs> me Ryan and Tim here. We talk about what worked. What did not work, and anything else we found interesting or noteworthy about a horror or film. We're on a quest for the sight unseen. We love uh, exploring the unexplored. We love cataloging and learning for ourselves by dismembering these horror films, all that there is to offer by plunging into the darkness, so to speak. Indeed. We're on, and you know what appropriate way to put it for today's episode, Tim? We're always on the hunt for gold, silver, you know, like we're prospectors in Western time. (laughs) (laughs) Because we watched a a Western. Mm -hmm. I got it. (laughs) That's that's right. We watched from 2015, Bone Tomahawk with our bud, Kurt Russell, our bigger bud, Patrick Wilson. <laughs> Your favorite. <laughs> Matthew Fox from uh, Lost. Richard Jenkins, whole, whole Motley crew. David Arquette, hey, we just finished watching him as Dewey yep. last Octo- this last October for the Scream movies. Uh, anything else you'd like to add before jumping into our trailer here? Pretty wild cast. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, like, a lot of really famous people are in this movie. And this movie is, like, a pretty small, you know, the budget was $2 million, not even. Yeah, it was interesting. I could, I totally saw this as the kind of movie where it's just, like, solid script. You get the actor on board. You can raise X amount of money. Yeah. Then with that actor, you get the, that other actor and can raise X amount more money. And then, I mean, you know... To, to get ahead of ourselves here, I mean, the acting is like what what makes this work entirely. I think the 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 casting, the acting, so yeah, it's good. It seems Sometimes. like you know, um, it's crazy directorial debut of the 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 Craig S Craig Zoller. I don't know anything about this guy, but. Um, no, he did. Um, maybe it was a. Sh- oh yeah, no directorial debut. Yeah, he had written something before this. Mm-hmm. But- but you know, he got Kurt Russell, and I originally it was going to be Jeff. We're whatever. This doesn't matter. But I think that's it. It's like <laughs> you get Kurt Russell, and you're you're off to the races, baby. Yeah, 
He's a cinematographer, mm-hmm. so I'm guessing you know that got him that got him in good. Yeah, yeah. With, yeah. We needed to get Probably in good worked, with worked with Mr. Russell at some point. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh wait. Two years. Oh no. That's. I don't know. Anyways. 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 <laughs> that's right. What'd you think? Well, did you love it? How about we watch the trailer? Then I'll tell you. Sounds good. All right. Here we go from 2015. The trailer for Bone Tomahawk. There's a uh, situation. Serious. Mrs. O'Dwyer was abducted. She is my everything, and those savages have got her. God knows what they're doing to her. Every second that we delay. You know who did this? I don't have a name. How many of them do you think there are? It won't matter. You have no chance against any number of them. I'm, I'm coming with you. No, no, I need you here. And this is what a backup's for, to help an emergency, not stay back. I'm coming. We're making a five-day journey in three days, riding along and sleeping the bare minimum. I don't know what's west of here. No cattle trail or anything else goes in that direction. If our horses die before we get there, or we go into hostile territory, weak and foggy with exhaustion, we won't rescue anybody. Don't be scared. I am a friend. You aren't. You had no cause. If you want to question my morals, do it later. Well, Tim, to try to answer your question, did I love Bone Tomahawk? I I have to look at it from the perspective of this kind of seemed like the best movie ever coming right after the Banana Splits movie. <laughs> You know, sure. a, a mere solid film mm-hmm. felt just like the best thing ever. <laughs> um, but honestly, it's not that. I, I'm, I'm like kind of going between um, to do, you know, to jump into our rating system here, like a very high stream it or a lower tier rent it. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it was so much that was great and going for it, but something was keeping it back from totally elevating it for me. Yep. But it was still all there. I don't know, man. It's hard. Like, coming right off of, again, (laughs) fucking Banana Splits movie. (laughs) This is so bad. Like, I want to give this a rent, which I didn't have to do, and I did have to rent the Banana Splits movie. Um, (laughs) But I don't know. In my heart and soul, I feel like this is exactly what a really good stream movie should be yeah i and (laughs) and it's it's why i'm catching myself too is because like i think i gave like 2000 maniacs you know like a rent it right which you know in its writing plotting yada yada it may not necessarily in all these elements be a quote-unquote better film but i just think it was cooler and it stuck with me in a way and Mm -hmm. it had a vision behind it and such character like such character behind it. This one did have character, but it was more just like, ah, cool. Mm-hmm. Not like, whoa, this, this indelible movie. Um, great moments. I don't know. Okay, it sounds like I'm I'm saying very high stream it, even though I don't want to like group it with other streamits. Hey, that's just the fault of our rating system. But I'll <laughs> I'll go ahead and give it that. I agree. I'm a high stream. I liked it less than I remembered. 
Um, and right. I think you, partially because now I, I was watching it with a more critical eye. Um, the first time I watched it, I kind of just was like, oh, I heard this was fun and casually watched it. Um, and so all I had remembered from casually watching it was basically the last 30 minutes. And I realized why that was is because the first hour and a half of this movie are pretty fucking dull. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, it's got some good stuff in it, but it just doesn't quite get there and we can discuss why. Yeah, I those are those sound like fighting words. I don't know if I'd put it quite quite that. It, it was weird. I was going back <laughs> and forth on like what you might call dull. It was actually kind of refreshing and just getting to hang out with these characters mm-hmm. who I legitimately did not want to die. Mm-hmm. But whatever. I mean, then I looked at the running time and was like, yeah, if it didn't need to be that, probably not. I think it could be... I, this movie could have been a half hour shorter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think. Great. Well, well, what's next, Tim? We've both given it a, a high stream it. Next, we gotta we gotta summarize it. What did what did we make of this film? What how would you how do you explain this film to someone as far as the content? Well, uh, let's see. It is the eighteen nineties, and uh, I think we're in Wyoming or something like that, or we're supposed to be. I don't remember if it's specific at any point, um, but. The there's a couple of what do you call them? They're like um, they're like traveling thieves, <laughs> murderers, thieves, and they you know they like jump on people's camps in the middle of them sleeping and kill them and take their stuff, right? So they suck, and in doing so, they they disrupt a a, a indigenous burial site in some valley in the, in these mountains and that sets off a chain of events which is starts with the the indigenous tribe that it ha, has been living in the mountains tracking down one of the dudes who are the surviving dude who disrupted their burial site and that's our our friend um What's his name? <laughs> what is his name? David Arquette. Oh, he's uh, he is Purvis, though he lies and says his name is Buddy, which was actually his uh, his buddy's name, <laughs> Sid, right, exactly. Sid Hag, who is killed. And so that's that's our our catalyst, right? Like him going into this town brings the indigenous tribe with him, essentially, and then through the sort of just circumstance they kidnap um one of the townspeople's wives who is sort of the town doctor um a deputy and uh purvis uh david arquette because they were the three in the um in the in the uh the jail uh overnight so really they were there to 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 take purvis but they they snagged a couple extras you know, as you do. <laughs> and because of all of this, then we get our actual story, which is Sheriff Kurt Russell, Franklin Hunt, um, 
his de- his older deputy Chicory, who's played by Richard, <laughs> Richard Jenkins, um, Patrick Wilson, who's the husband, the 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 injured husband of the doctor, Samantha, who's played by Lily Simmons, and Matthew Fox, who plays kind of like a well-to-do gunslinger guy. Um, and he he comes along because he feels responsible because he's the one who went and got uh, the doctor. He, like, fetched the doctor and brought her to the jail cell. So he he feels some sense of responsibility. So the, the that's our team of four or five. No, four. Our little posse. Yeah. So mini posse. Everybody feels like they have an obligation to do this even though they've been explicitly told by the resident expert on indigenous tribes in the area that this particular tribe is like way bad and this is a suicide mission because they're not even evolved humans they're troglodytes right it's great we have this great setup where our you know uh, english speaking native american he's you know he's he's the the in between friend uh-huh. Of our all our, our white people, he's basically like, oh no, I'll I can point to you on a map where they are, but I don't want to die, so I'm not going. <laughs> yeah. And he says he says they're troglodytes, and these are not my people. <laughs> he's very specific. Yeah, and just so we're all on the same page, troglodyte has a specific meaning. Here's the definition: a cave dweller. A human being who inhabits a cave or the area beneath the overhanging rocks of a cliff. So, you know, whatever. So it's accurate. <laughs> it's know, very accurate to what they are. It's, I think it's, they're, you know, they were a prehistoric human. Yeah. Yes. There you go. It's, yeah. Anyway, so that's fun. Evolved in caves, kind of like they're somewhere between people and the... Um, the this the the descent creatures. That's right. Yeah, that's what I kept thinking of too. Um. Anyway, so that's it, right? Like that's your setup, and then the story really is we we follow these guys out on the range, you know, trying to get to the valley that that inhabit the, these uh, troglodytes inhabit in a. It's called the Valley of the Starving Men. <laughs> and we spend about an hour and a half out out there dilly dallying. <laughs> but Tim, the real the real meat and bones of this all is that these troglodytes are cannibals. That's what puts us into horror territory. True that. They are brutal, brutal cannibals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and eventually we get to them and they do some <laughs> brutal, brutal cannibal stuff. <laughs> yeah. Great. And and that's really it. Like, you know, as you can imagine, some people die and a couple people survive in the end. Boom, bada, bam. Yep. So within all that, do you want to talk about now what worked for us? Yeah. All right, here we go. First, next section. What <laughs> worked? What worked? What worked for you? What worked for you? <laughs> <laughs> it worked like a charm, Smith. I already kind of set it up top, but I was definitely 
hey, key things you want in a horror movie of this kind. I was afraid of their characters dying. You know, I was like, mm. oh, even very little, little, you know, very little setup. It was just all done so efficiently. Where like when they're all hanging out and you know stuff's going to go down at the end, I'm like, oh, I don't, you know, I don't, I'll, I'm invested enough where I'm not, I don't want any of them to die. And of course it's going to happen. Anyway, check, yeah. you know? Yeah. I think there's a lot of like, really good framework in this movie. I put simple story well told. Just the thrust of yeah. you just you just gotta save her. You yeah, know? like my my arguments as to why it's a stream do fall more on sort of like more specific execution of the of filling out the framework. Um, yeah. but but yeah, man. I mean, like westerns are great partially because of their simplicity it's like you have a task you got to go get the thing you've got people who are you know maybe reluctant or feel a sense of duty and that's what drives them and that's that's a really standard and fun construct to live in and then you know i think one of the big benefits of doing a western is that it's man versus the elements and man versus man, right? Like man versus himself. And that's kind of it, right? It's sort of like you always get these themes of of like <clears throat> the honorable thing to do. And, you know, it was a time and a, and a place of really hard hardship, right? Like you had to be a hardy person to to survive in in the the west you know out on the range and he had to be good at shit and mm -hmm. he had to put up with suffering like here we get see everyone's kind of strengths and weaknesses mm -hmm. very clearly everyone you know the fun of seeing a posse balance each other out yeah and there's that there's that i really like that thing of that sense of duty and honor and like you know we have a we have a responsibility even though we know we're probably going to die. Um, yeah. And there's something compelling about that. Yeah, it's a clear moral compass. I mean, we live, you know, our world reality. It's just paradoxes are built in anything. It's so easy to be skeptical and question everything. So, yeah, a big part of Westerns is this sort of appeal of an almost simplicity of like, not questioning this is the right thing, so we just do it. It's kind of like when we were talking about the purposefulness of the army guys and the thing from another world. Mm -hmm. And there's a f sort of fun, like, yeah, on the mission, um, I, I, I don't know, ideal, but just ethos that mm -hmm. they um, embody. And we get that here with posses and westerns too. It's so much fun. Yeah, and I think in this movie, the characters are pretty, like their tropes are pretty well-defined. Um, which, which is good. I mean, it's, it's, I never felt like anybody was a caricature, which is nice, but they are very much their, uh, archetypal, you know, representation. Yeah. To kind of go down the list and tie that into, you know, I said what worked was the performances slash the casting is, you know, they'll go hand in hand. Yeah. But yeah, no, I'd like to say how they're, how they're colored, how they're characterized, um, Sheriff Hunt is <laughs> Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell is Sheriff Hunt 
Like the way that is just like a key just felt like such him moment. And it was, it, it almost was like a classic Kurt Russell line. I loved it. Was at the way end when we know he's being left to die, but is going to kill the the final cannibals. Um, and who they went to save is being, is escaping now, uh, the doctor. And she says, you know, she looks like she just wants to stay with him and is so grateful and wants to give him the world for just doing his job and saving him. So, you know, but that, you know, so she says, thank you, whatever she says, super, you can tell that she wants to do more, but can't, just has to get out of there. And Kurt Russell, Sheriff Hunt just says, you know, like out of duty, like Mrs. O'Dwyer, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, just like this. It's perfect Kurt Russell execution, but just said everything about his character too. Or like, he's kind of, he's not like wild or crazy Kurt Russell, but he is really fun for embodying exactly that kind of like what we were already saying, a a moral certainty or certitude Mm -hmm. of just, and then just sort of fully jumping into that and sort of inspiring us in that sense. Like, you know, it's the thing just... He's the one who's just always doing the right thing. Yeah. It's funny. And yeah, then, I think um, that the, the, there's this, I don't know that this is actually true, but there's certainly the romanticism of like, that's the way you had to be and how you survived back then. Right. Especially like, if you're a sheriff, maybe. Exactly. You know, he's very, he's got this sort of honorable stoicism and bound to duty nature that is just accepting and he's not going to, you know, he's not going to uh, protest anything. He's just going to say, we got to do it. That's yep. the way it is. So, yeah, there's there's the sheriff, very sheriffy, as we want. <laughs> and um, then we have Bruder, played by Matthew Fox, as you know, we know Jack <laughs> from Lost. Yeah, And he uh, he's so perfect as the, like, you know, wearing the white, off-white, gray. He's the one in that colored suit mm-hmm. with that colored hat. Just kind of like a, you know, fine mustache he's <laughs> got going on. But then as he puts it, too, after he gets, like, his hand chopped off and is dying, he, uh, you know, they say, well, we can still save you, kind of. And he says, you know, no way. This is my spot. I'm too vain to be a cripple, as he put it. Yep. Um, pardon for using the term. But as but that just was everything about his character. It's like, yep, that's who he is. He's too vain, and he's saying it. And it was I love that moment too with him when where we see him almost questioning that for a moment when he's when he's left there to die. Where like you see almost the survival instinct kicking up against that ego instinct that he just is so tried and, and fast with. But then in the end, he comes down. Nope, this is my place. I'm too vain. Mm-hmm. And that was, it was a really nice moment to make out of there. And he was great in it. And then anything on him? I, I'm just kind of going down the list of uh, people. No, I think he's good casting. Uh, you know, I have a criticism surrounding him, but it's a design criticism. It's not him, his acting or his character at all. So I'll, okay. I'll save that for later. <laughs> Then learning his name is too perfect, but Richard Jenkins is chicory. Yep. The kind of like, he's kind of like, he's he's the older one who, but like the super endearing one who's like maybe a little, he's not, 
he's not like slow or dimwitted, but he's just kind of opt like maybe overly optimistic. Let's say he's a um, bit doddering, is what I would call him. <laughs> you yeah, know? endearing like as hell, but doddering. You yeah, know, he's he's getting up in age. He's a widow, widower, widower. Yeah, no widow, whatever. <laughs> um, you know, he's got a profound sense of duty mm-hmm. to Sheriff Hunt. Uh, and I think he really, he emblemizes, emblemizes? Yeah. Emblemizes this notion of like wanting to feel that you have a purpose once you've entered into the later sort of the autumn of your life. And someone who just, yeah, is is all about finding that purpose and sort of helps the team as being almost like the emotional glue or the kind of the mm-hmm. heart of the of the posse. Like, hey, like there are people like this who are just good people that you inherently immediately like. So he let's, has let's... an amazing line when they've been trekking along for a couple days and he keeps he's just chattering and talking about whatever. And somebody, I forget who it is, is like, don't you ever rest that mouth of yours or something like that? Uh, and he says, well, would you rather listen to the sound of shuffling, tired shuffling feet? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, no shit. No, you should keep talking. It's such a good, like, it's that counterpoint that he provides to the, to the like, the futility of, of the mission. Yeah, like no matter what we're doing, we might as well make the best of it and still enjoy each other's company. Right. There's something (laughs) really nice about that, you know? Like, yeah, that doesn't counteract or dampen the stakes or, you know, Mm -hmm. um, that spirit he brings to it. And my my favorite moment with him, what embodied his character or character for me, his archetype, was when he's, you know, his optimism is at the end when they're in the jail cells and he's like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's telling the story about seeing a, it's very Jurassic Parky. He's talking about seeing a, a flea parade or like a flea circus. <laughs> That's right. And he's, he's questioning it. He's like, you know, I know it's not supposed to be real, but these things, I swear it was real. Kind of, I knew it in my heart kind of thing. And then, um, what's her name? Uh, Samantha. Math, yeah. Math. Yeah. 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 Samantha, the doctor who they're going to, to rescue. She, she says, is like, Oh yeah, well, you know, most of them are fake, but I heard that one was real. And he's just, right. <laughs> he just grins so big. And is like, I knew it. I knew it in my heart and soul. That was real. And it's just like, it was, it was just great. Like, yeah, give them that. Yeah. <laughs> That'll yeah. keep us all going. Um, and then, yeah, you mentioned Samantha. I loved her. She was so perfect as like, uh, the doctor type, like when we see her embodying the doctor, very uh, Dr. Quinn medicine woman <laughs> of like, yeah. damn, she's, and the not only just the way she was a doctor and carried herself in the room, but also like her speech at the end of saying like, Dude, it's not the West and it's not, it's all you and all them yep. being idiots. All of you are idiots. I and love kind of like, that speech. Oh my God, it was so good. It, it really hit home or was another example of, what we brought up in the thing of the another thing from another world that was like all men and two women or whatever. But um, this was like doing that how I'd want where she called, like what I said in that was even in a way that, you know, wasn't ever stated, but just got me thinking was like all these men in a group together in charge, so to speak, 
are just boys with toys running around, just doing stupid things, shooting mm-hmm. guns off at each other. And she's just so hip to that and knows that. And it was just so fun to see her be like, yo, dude, all you are just like, come on here. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, listen to like, maybe put us in charge. And we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. All these guys even, and it was so fun seeing that on, um, uh, uh, the, the reaction of Sheriff uh, Sheriff Hunt's Kurt Russell uh, to her calling that out, where like he just seems like someone we could so easily just just you know follow off a cliff if we believed him, but to see him put taken down a peg and you know yeah. in a way that's res- respectful and you know he's he's not fighting back at all. That was super fun too. Yeah, I, I love, love she has a moment early on when they're in the jail cell and she's treating Purvis. And the the younger deputy, she says, is that I think she asked him if the water that she's boiling is hot enough, and he like puts his fingers in it to test it. And she's like, "Don't put your fingers in there." <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> like just see if it's warm enough. What the fuck is it right. boiling? Actually, it was it was it did a lot for. Sorry, bring it back to him, but it was reinforcing a lot of how Sheriff Hunt is smart because he listens to her, you yeah. know, made us respect him more in that sense. Um, and then last but not least, Tim, we have Patrick Wilson as Arthur O'Dwyer. <laughs> Your f- most favorite So Tim, Tim says that... Uh, however that tone is because I've kind of ragged on him before. And um, when we watched insidious, the last key and all those movies, here's the thing though, Tim, I liked him in this. I'm so happy to say, and it's because he was playing his type. It felt like he wasn't, it wasn't okay. And this is okay. Uh, Much like Jack Bauer in mirrors, much like the dude in, um, What's that movie that that we also referenced? The dead, the sheriff in, uh, oh, um, dead and buried. Yeah, dead and buried. Yeah, much like I'll reference the cop in Stranger Things. And since this keeps coming up, I'm just going to say it because this is what I'm always wanting to say. If this means anything to anyone listening at any point in history, maybe it will. I'm super into the enneagram of personality types. Mm. Personality types, and this what we always say: this archetype, the the real live wire, as I'll put it. The 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 goes in guns a blazing just all force send him in there with a gun and let's hope for the best he'll deal with it is as it comes to him that is the type eight on the enneagram the the challenger mm. and uh, uh, if you can get any kind of similarities between all of them well well that's who it is and so I think that's who the best casting is I think when those um, yeah anyone can and should be able to play any type I get it. But at the same time, when you have someone who like physically embodies this already, like I think Patrick Wilson is the type eight challenger and to see him playing that role, it just, it fits, which is, I think like same with um, uh, uh, Jack Bauer, same with Kiefer Sutherland, same with the guy playing Hopper. Um, It's, it's fun. Like, yeah, it was so much fun seeing him in this role. Like uh, Stu in Scream, I think is the same kind too. Real live wire. This just uh, makes me think of a, of a fun game to play. We should play this more often. Um, when we have movies that are, you know, characters are so archetypal, we we should see who who would we be. And I think you're a chicory. I'm no, I didn't relate to chicory in this one. Wow. So who, I'll push back who are against you? that. 
I don't think I was in this one. I don't know. <laughs> I think you're a chicory, and I don't know who I am. I'm a Purvis. <laughs> no, man, you could you could say it without putting me. I'm more like God in movies we watch. I'm more like like Willard or Norman Bates or like, <laughs> 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 All right. <laughs> these these worst sides of me. Um, what's your uh, what's your enneagram number? It's the type five, which is the observer. But like they're they're also like there are a lot of like the can be either the science weirdos mm. or the artistic weirdos are like the twos. Like you have the Kurt Cobain's, Neil Young's, David Lynch's, um, Jane Goodall, mm-hmm. uh, Kristen Stewart. <laughs> like mm. um they're all they're all type fives um the ones that bring the energy of like what's the uh taking everything be, being able to synthesize all that has been seen or done before and trying to make alchemize something new out of it all not being afraid of that that first step and and the type 8s Patrick Wilson in this are the muscle and mm-hmm. you know they're they're the but the but in the sense of it can be physical but more so of like the strength to put the heart in the situation like the way you know he is towards his wife like in the, the same with how jack bauer is towards his wife in mirrors like right it, you know the, his behavior that we thought was ridiculous was all coming from that that place of how much he loved them um i'm sorry to go on this tangent <laughs> like, i love I this lo- stuff. i've loved talking about you're the one stuff. who told me about it yeah, but it's no, it's funny. Like in 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 my type, which I don't, I didn't see in any of these characters in this. Um, the type five, like there's called the direction of integration, which is like when you are kind of like what's what what of the other types kind of do you want to embody that will that will suit you, and so for mine, it's like or like the reluctant leaders mm. of embodying the type eight kind of just forcefulness, don't get too caught up in research, you know, try to be with the present, really get out of the head, out of your head. Like, uh, fives is like one of those like super heady types. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I'll log winded to say, I, d- I do not think I was, uh, chicory. <laughs> so what do you think chicory is on the chart? I think he is the two or, Maybe the nine. The two is the one who does bring like the heart into the situation. Oh yeah, of, like, and he's definitely that. He's like the Mister Rogers. You okay, know, of so him. what's uh, Sheriff Hunt? Um, I saw him as the one or the three. <laughs> it's like if you don't know this stuff, it's so funny. <laughs> so you say these nine numbers. There's nine total. Um, but those are the very like American ones. Okay. One is the like. Gene Siskel is one of my favorite examples of one where it's like they're the they're the perfectionists in the way or they're like the ones who it's funny they kind of like fall back on like what is normal or or what are the rules um but then at the same time are almost like the craziest rule breakers when it comes <laughs> down to it if they do think something is BS cool. <laughs> like um but also, like, yeah, you know, it, it is when they do get behind, like, what is right or wrong, like, and it's, and it's true or rings true, like, we really feel it and they help carry it. I think Leslie Nielsen might be one, which is okay. why he's, like, so funny in delivering, like, something straight-faced. Maybe 
Kristen Wiig is kind of similar in mm-hmm. that sense too. Um, can be really funny in their comic doing, yeah, when they're doing comedy. And then the type three is like the the Tom Cruise, I think like both Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton, Oprah Winfrey. Okay. Um, Paul McCartney. Okay. They're the they're the um the like the the one who they're they're like the star almost the ones our friend uh, Mo Marissa Tim mm-hmm. is his one <laughs> where like they can be very concerned about how people what people think of them how they're coming across I want it to be me I want it to be the star I like this attention mm-hmm. yet they really excel when they're focused on the goal. So it's Tom right. Cruise deciding I'm going to do these stunts for real and we love watching him do them. You know, <laughs> he's really fun to watch hanging from a side of a building and running away from a tornado or whatever he's doing. <laughs> um, and it's like, yeah, Paul McCartney's the one to hold these like huge concerts with uh, fireworks. Right, and right. his songs are the kind of poppiest and like appealing and singable of them all. Um, so who, so let's just round it out. What, what would then... Um... Uh, Matthew, what's his name? Oh yeah, actually, you know what? I see Sheriff Hunt is the three, and uh, and Matt, uh, yeah, Bruder, the two vain one. Even though the vanity is the more type three thing, I see him as how he carries himself, or maybe the actor is the more type one. Just this kind of like haunted by so a good what's foil right wrong. for the sheriff. Yeah, yeah. And that's, I mean, it works because they even get to that point, right, where they have the standoff between the two of them. It's like they're on the same side, but they have a different attitude as to how to accomplish the goal. And they are very much kind of almost like mirrors of each other. Yeah, absolutely. That's cool. Um, I like that scene a lot. Um, You know, Ruder setting up the, the like, uh, camp... Um, tripwire that has bells on it and then when when somebody shows up the first time it's a coyote probably and he just the second he hears the bell he just sits right up and shoots without even asking questions just right off the bat and that that leads us to the (laughs) next time when the couple of uh uh you know other dudes show up and there's this semi standoff one really beautiful tableau wide shot of the intruders and the camp um being like wide framed on each side of the frame like this sort of panoramic uh shot it's really beautiful and um bruder ends up just shooting the guy both of them yeah (laughs) and kurt russell is like yo why like why'd you do that and they immediately turn their guns on each other and there's this yeah. really tense, great standoff moment of like, what are you going to do? And that like, I just think it it kind of speaks to the whole movie in a way. It's like, what are we doing? <laughs> right. Like, what <laughs> are we doing? <laughs> Actually, yeah, you, you, you reminded me of those examples, Bruder. Is that that is all very type one of the, the certitude yeah. of these guys are bad guys, even if I don't actually know it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's yeah. Um, and so, so so tie it all back. Patrick Wilson, the real live wire, the type eight challenger. It's so much fun to watch that archetype. Just like 
And they built the suspense so well where like they all get trapped and he's hanging behind because of his injury, which is a great device too overall. Yeah. It's just him. He's always catching up and we don't know if he's going to live or be, you know, whatever is going to happen with him with his injury. Um, But just so much fun, that anticipation of like, to send that guy in there with a gun and it's going to be fun seeing him deal with it as it comes to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, in a way, what I like about the construct of his character, because ultimately it's it's more his story than anybody else's. And it's really to the point of his wife's speech about that they're all just a bunch of idiots. <laughs> and... The story ultimately is a commentary on men just, you know, being stubborn idiots and Patrick Wilson embodying that and having to go through some pretty harsh trials and like, uh, you know, what's the term? Uh, um, shit. <laughs> you hear it in they they say it in sports all the uh, attrition right <laughs> he has to go through this attrition to to sh- you know make it his <laughs> make his stupidity matter right like he has to he has to suffer pretty badly to make up for just being a dumbass all the time and like disconnected from his own emotions and all of these sort of like traditional you know i think falsely but male ideals of like you know don't have emotions don't show love don't like you know listen to other people like he's he has to go through this thing to to sort of actually show his his worth and prove to himself that there's something more important than just his own dumb stubbornness (laughs) You're talking about Patrick Wilson as Arthur O'Dwyer, right? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, that's all was embodied so well with um, his reticence and embarrassment to read the right. letter that yeah. sort of, you know, that his wife said, you know, called a poem. And he's like, well, I don't, I don't want to read it out loud. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which that that's an example very like that's that is very type eight of like you know, uh, it's it's their their journey can be a, a lot to do with that misappropriation of force with strength and you think it takes well it takes strength to actually for him to overcome that embarrassment and read something from the heart yep but it's when those those challenger types are able to come from that place where they just embody a place where they'll be reaching us versus uh being that that kind of overly tough (laughs) love maybe yeah approach they can take yeah so anyway for um, me you know the other the other components of the movie that i think really work are the the bad guys, the monsters, um, the design of them, uh, the the gratuity of them, and the there's the brutality of it. Well, I mean, you gotta, I feel like, put that in the context of all, like from the get go, when you just hear the premise of this movie, feel like, oh god, this could be going to tricky territory. I, of the, I the, the, worried <laughs> when we when it started, I was like, ooh. In today's the Native context, Americans I was like, are the I'm bad not guys. Sure I'm going to be into this. Well, this is recent enough. I think they. I mean, we are not people to speak to this, but as far as hey, whatever, whatever we are thinking at this time, um, hey, I mean, it, it felt to me like yeah, they did. They 
they how they they're troglodytes first of all mm-hmm. the native we have the native american character who very clearly says this is not us at all right these are complete these are something completely different and, and that they, that that you white people probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference because you're stupid yeah <laughs> he like he like specifically says that he's like well, i know and, to you you wouldn't be able to tell the difference but that's because you're dumb but even then you know i feel like you gotta do gotta do more which they did which was so great you have it so they are literally evolved differently yep. they have these things in their throats that like are like in the jurassic park three the little oh, velociraptor vocal <laughs> things <laughs> So you have these like weird uh, bone pipes that yeah. have like evolved in their throats that uh, explains their monstrous yell. And then, I mean, if that's not enough, what really did it too is like, how could you defend these people when we see finally what they're doing to their women? They, yep. it's like serious Green Inferno stuff. It was, it was horrifying. They like have it down. So it's just the two women who are both pregnant their all their limbs are gone because they've eaten them and they're blinded by having pegs in their eyes. So it's like they've literally just turned them into birthing meat lumps. Yep. So it's pretty hard to you know feel feel like these aren't bad guys in some regard when that's what they're doing. But here's the thing. This is why this this is why this is good storytelling. And when you put it up against what we were talking about and sort of feeling like we were lacking in the Banana Splits movie. (laughs) Yeah. Remember, we were like, there's no real connection, right? There's no sort of layering of, like, importance and thematic reflection between the antagonist and the protagonist. In this movie, it is precisely that, specifically that. What this movie is showing is misplaced masculinity in the in the sort of context of the caveman right like just brute force caveman uh embodiment is the bad guy that's the external bad guy it's 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 personified the internal bad guy is that toxic sort of misplaced masculinity in these men and how those two things are put up against each other and how the more evolved man has to get in touch with essentially his feminine side, his empathy and compassion and sense of responsibility to carry out a task for the good of other people. And that those, that the, those two things put up against each other, that's fucking good storytelling and good character because you actually have the the context of those two things the framework of those things which are basically the same thing it's the same bowl the context that you're putting the content into and and they work off of each other you didn't get that in the the banana splits movie and that's what was kind of a bummer right because it you could have yeah. But this is a this is a I think a very good example of a screenwriter knowing how to like frame a story and the themes of that story really well and very simply at from the get go and then build off of that rather than what I think 
a lot of other movies do is they come up with a high concept idea and then they try to sort of, you know, shoehorn in themes. This is doing it the other way. And I think often this is the more effective way to do it. You can Wait, build that's, off of it. That's starting with what? Can starting with a very simple context of masculinity or, or of brute force and or, mm. you know, and and forming the content that goes into that bowl, around, you know, from that point. Rather right, so you're, than, it doesn't have to be like literally from the start, but just saying knowing early enough that this is all about this kind of um, fighting each other, killing each other's allowed masculinity, like, and then sort of attaching that to, yeah, crazed cannibals, violence, great. I'll pit, pit each other against each other. And then maybe like what you're saying too, or I just thought of a fun way to put it. Uh, this versus the Banana Splits movie has uh, characters revealing other characters' character. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I um, Just a little thought I had on uh, Patrick Wilson still and him saving the day at the end, didn't quite get to, was I thought it was so great, so nice. It's... it's it's funny kind of putting what worked for me as something that they didn't do. Um, but I was so happy that it wasn't like, they had the best of both worlds, where it wasn't like he just showed up magically at the end to save the day, which is kind of what I thought. Like once we get with mm-hmm. Kurt Russell and the other guy and her who are all, I thought we were just going to be with them and then he was going to pop up and save the day. But it was so smart to cut back to uh, Arthur O'Dwyer, Patrick Wilson, and sort of be with him for getting up and making that final stretch and killing a few more of the troglodytes. And then, and then, then once, and then we still had that fun of him um, showing up at the cave, but it wasn't like it had to be a total, like save the day at the end thing. And it was really nice too that little touch where even though he's the one saving the day, they were able to give Samantha and the sheriff Another guy, chicory, something all to do with trying to poison them with what the yeah, the, the yeah. poison that they had. So it was it wasn't like they were just sitting there waiting to be saved or die. They were they were still trying with what they have. Right. Well, Tim, we got to mention it's a horror film. How about some of the, the? I mean, there's a standout horror moment. I feel like it's as far as <laughs> avoiding cool. talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hey, we're just we're just getting to it as we do, but oh man, I mean, that's just sitting down to watch this like as a horror movie. It 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 fully delivered just with that single moment alone towards the end of. Well, I'll describe it for you, listeners, if you weren't able to watch it with us either way. Well, just we have- to set it up, one thing: <laughs> we spend about an hour and a half of this movie anticipating the horror of these troglodytes. We've been told that they're bad dudes and that they're inhuman in a way. And we've been waiting to find out sort of what that's all about. (laughs) Yep. And then... (laughs) So it's the other deputy from the beginning that was captured with the doctor, Samantha, where he's he's taken in front of them to be uh, cannibalized and their process for that, so they they scalp him live in front of us, mm-hmm. take his scalp and shove it into his mouth, then 
turn him upside down and with their their bone tomahawk that they use, these jaws of bears or whatever that they use, they're sharpened, slice down into him from the rear end, splitting him apart. Like like he's, you know, st- they stand him up on his head and split him down the middle from his rear with mm-hmm. their bone tomahawk. And, uh, right and then the, pull him apart. Right in the crotch. Yep. Whew. And but Tim watching that here, it was like it was it was what I wanted from a horror movie. I was going like, oh my god, yeah, yeah. Which is so funny when it's like I realized again, it's coming off of the Banana Splits movie. If the gore was the highlight for that, I was still just kind of like when watching Banana Splits movie, just kind of like, oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. when the gore when the gore moments happen. But here, when I was actually invested in it and they built to it and it was a competently done movie, just like the night and day difference of the the visceral reaction that even something that you could argue is just vi- about the visceral reaction mm-hmm. hit me that much more. Well, I have a thought. To further this um, emphasis on the themes of this movie and how it's how it's contextualized killing the young uh theoretically uh uh, a strong you know he's a young virile dude right he should in in a lot of contexts be or a lot of ways be the the sort of the the strongest and the the most heroic if you're going from the classic male you know, story uh, construct. And to take that character and not only uh, (laughs) flay him from his literal manhood, flay him, but to bisect him in such a um, unemotional way, the way that you would do you would butcher a you know cattle when you're getting ready for a barbecue is to to turn him into an you know an animal essentially the way that we humans often view our food you know we take animals and we just we butcher them and to do that to the character that sort of represents youth and virility and and masculinity speaks even further to this theme of where we misplace the ideals of masculinity. And these cavemen are representative of the worst version of that. And so it's 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 not just for the gore or for the sake of the shock. It has built-in thematic meaning to do it that particular way. And I think it's, again a testament to good storytelling to think about those things. And maybe it wasn't a thought out, so thought out, but I think the instinct at the very least was there and it ties into the broader storytelling themes that are in this movie. It's, it's fucking good. It's smart. I agreed. Agreed. And on top of that, I mean, that's kind of like the standout horror moment, but it's not, it's not alone in sort of they push the violence in other areas in a way that's working on multiple levels of just either if it's like the cringe moment of when he's shoving another like bone knife thing down Kurt Russell's throat Ooh, yeah. before hitting him. Um, and then what they just did so well 
that's like, yeah, yeah, it's it's important to do to kind of let us live in the reality a bit more and sort of um, or set a good reality and good for the stakes. Is they really get beat up along the way, like yeah. when they get um, ambushed or whatever right before they're captured, or that leads to their capture, like uh, the. Um, both the sheriff and Chicory like get, you know, arrows in them in different mm-hmm. places and you're just getting that throughout. So it's like no one's no one's safe, which is so important yeah. for this kind of movie. Yeah, and the brutality of it. I mean, when Kurt Russell toward the end is is slight his stomach is sliced open and they jam the um the flask, the burning or the heated up flask into Tim. him. <laughs> That was Woo! so good. That was so good. I know. I was like, holy fuck. <laughs> yeah. And he just, you know, he just barrels forward because he knows he's screwed. But yeah. he's got a duty. <laughs> he's the sheriff. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I would have mentioned that. The shoving the flask into the open wound. And it was just great as far as like establishing too these troglodytes are still smart enough. I mean, they're still human enough where like they, they have an understanding of cruelty, <laughs> you know, it's not there. Yeah. It was just such a nice touch. And I'm, I'm glad they, they showed that these people, these troglodytes would uh, specifically enjoy getting revenge right. after someone getting poisoned by taking the thing. And oh, God, when they, when they did that first cut into his stomach uh, yeah, too, really, Ooh, because it was just like, there was still the part of me that was like, maybe he's still going to be okay. Maybe they're going to save him. But when you see that <laughs> nope. cut happen, you're like, that was looking pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, to me, a lot, this movie, the, 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 the length of the setup to get to that moment, you know, Overall is effective. Now, I I think I you know maybe would want it to be a little bit short shortened leading up to that. But man, when you get there, the payoff is so so good and so strong. And like, I think that's why I had I had so completely forgotten the first two thirds of the movie from the first time I watched it because the last third is just so like, Oh man. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know, good job. Great. I think that's the last little thing I had. That was just sort of like (laughs) to keep comparing it to the last film we watched that we just very much did not like was an (laughs) avoid. We both would have told ourselves to avoid the banana splits movie. Um, the, the last shot, of this film says a lot of just they they were they they were aware of these things and thinking of these terms of it's missing something well what is the theme that's going on here what's something that would sort of play off what's what's something that would happen in this context that we've now set up a new a new opportunity to pull that feels right so towards the ending when they're walking out or at the way ending when they're when they're finally leaving and you know, Sheriff Hunt's left there to kill the last ones and die. And uh, Chicory, <laughs> we see, yeah, Chicory, Samantha, Patrick Wilson, just interchanging all their names now at this point. But they're they're leaving, and Chicory on his way out 
picks up like a solid, you know, he doesn't have a gun anymore. He picks up a solid looking rock, stone, you know, where we immediately get, oh, this is, you know, have some kind of weapon handy because mm-hmm. these are guys that will just run at you with a with their bone machete, <laughs> bone tomahawk. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um, and then after they get the gunshots, which mean where they hear the gunshots off in the distance was presumably the sheriff killing the last ones. He has faith. He puts down the rock. He doesn't need it anymore. And that is the last shot. The rock sitting there. Yeah. And it's like just how much better. It just gives you a little something to chew on versus they just walk off into the sunset together. It's like, oh, oh it, 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 it's hard to describe. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling something there. I'm thinking about something there. Feels, it feels just so, you know? Well, and yeah, I think that there's there's sort of a universality and and like almost instinctual realization in that that like one of the most primitive things you can do is is grab a rock, you know, mm-hmm. and use that rock in any number of ways, right, as a tool or as a weapon or or whatever. But it really does sort of represent the evolution of the the humans in this story moving on from their primitive natures right mm-hmm. he's literally letting go of the rock of the stone right like it's it's almost like we've left the stone age and now we're into the next age whatever right there's it's yeah. there's there's a really you know it's it's just it makes inherent sense to us without really having to pick it apart it's just so uh i don't know what well, the, it's, the it's word too is. it's true cinematic storytelling it's yeah. not yeah it's, it's you, you it comes just from get a visual. it you don't need to think about it you just get it's, it it's action and visual and why i say true cinematic storytelling is you shouldn't i'm a big proponent of like you shouldn't like even though i love theme and it's important to come from that place i i like theme stated but it should be something that theme for me is something that should be explored. You can have positions on it, but mm-hmm. I don't like a finality to mm-hmm. it. You know, I don't think anything in life, you know, you can sort of say, I mean, you can, there's, there, there, there's yeah, movies where it's like, yeah, we like this straight up. This is clearly wrong moral, but even those, like you get at a deeper something of sort of exploring quote unquote sides to it. Anyway, that's, there that you know that's that's just a little more thoughts on yes <laughs> why can feel and but it's not that it's a good thing if it's not just like oh yeah it's it's not pat yeah yeah those are the good ones yeah god you know that that graduate ending is the, always the perfect example <laughs> yep <laughs> great well tim it sounded like we lo and behold did have uh some stuff that didn't work for us if we both gave it stream yeah Though a high stream, again, nearly a low rent. Should we get into that? I think we should. All right, here we go. What did not work? It's not ready yet. Seems to work okay. No, something important's missing. What did not work? (laughs) For me, Tim, I can sum it up and then expound on, of course. (laughs) <laughs> what did not work? <laughs> there was these uh, something I'll just immediately take me out of a film, and they did. I know it's, it may sound you're just being so picky, Ryan, but the 
the the foley sounds, the can sounds that they had for doors closing and opening. <laughs> wow. That's a cool one. <laughs> but it's a, it's so much because it's just it says that it's still at the level of filmmaking or directing where there's still some kind of quote unquote indie trappings to yep. it. Yeah. It's as and that that was largely like with how it was shot for me. I'm like mm-hmm. When watching it, I was like, "This story—it's—it's it's cool, it's great. I'm—I I'm, love the acting, but what's what's missing here? And like, why is it different from, let's say, you know, like just thinking of any other, you know, great movie? Maybe just pick other westerns for this example, like Tombstone. You know, good the bad, Tombstone, good the good the bad, the ugly is sure. one of my favorite movies. Um, I loved uh, Kelly Reichardt's western. What is that called? That was really good. Um, but they're all something that there's there's just like the sort of meaning in itself of that last shot, there's something in, you know, there should always be something in every shot that's mm-hmm. doing something and how it's there. This just felt like they were going for make it nice. It, it didn't, yeah. it didn't involve, I never felt involved on a filmmaking level or like sucked in in a way that just sort of caught me off guard, like the best of movies. And I have, you know, I have to pick it apart later. It's just kind of like, it just kind of feels safe and pretty and okay. I felt very similarly. There's only maybe two or three shots in the whole film that made me go, oh, that's a cool shot. Everything else felt very... I was trying to figure out, like, I feel like the whole thing is shot on, like, like a 50, you know? It, it, I mean, a 50-millimeter lens. It, we're all, like, pretty close to everybody, um, there's a lot of two shots, like just like chest and, and up, uh, there's not a lot of cutting to a wide to, there's not a ton of establishing sort of the geometry of a scene and then like working with that and like making it say something. It kind of felt like all their spots where they stopped for a fire were like literally the same location exactly (laughs) yeah i i kept having this thought like this was shot in in the malibu sort of canyons or you know santa monica mountains and it really did feel like almost in that way that uh planet of the vampires did where they're just like turning the camera around for each scene and just shooting within a 360 degree set it's all the the same mountain yeah yeah they're just going from this in this scene, we're going, you know, left to right along this this ridge or whatever. And then in four scenes later, we're just going right to left and shooting it from a slightly different angle. You know what I, I mean? mean? It, it felt like it, that. It was all, they're going right from left alongside the base of the mountain is what the whole movie yeah. felt like. And maybe, maybe that sounds nitpicky, but it's like... It has an effect. It can, yeah, it can be... Here's the thing. It's like that... You can do that, and that's fine. But there was no kind of like progression or or like individual characters towards the scenes themselves. Like I, yes. I don't know how to describe it. I, you know? I do. So when you're doing a journey story, the environment often like one of the best tools you have is to have environment represent the progression of the story. So let's take a a really stark example. 
in the in Mad Max Fury Road, you go from one environment to the next to the next to the next, and they're and they're quite different from each other, and they they represent the moment that they're occurring in, right? So like when they're in the canyons, that's a really intense, very specific vibe. The walls are literally you know closing in on them in that moment. You have all of the bad guys coming in at once at them. So they they you know they symbolize the the where the characters are in the story at that point later on when it turns to nighttime you get a completely blue wash palette and you're in the swampland right that's a whole different thing you're literally stuck in the mud at night right like so you, you mad max does it really overtly right super highly stylized this movie doesn't do it at all except for some what i found to be very very strange coloring choices they desaturated the 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 images in certain areas almost to black and white now sometimes that was because they were shooting at night and trying to to show or get the vibe of night and so they just completely desaturate the image but then in other shots during the day it's desaturated except for the yellows and greens and they and they stick out way too much and it felt very strange and i kind of kept thinking like what's the purpose of it like what are we trying to t- like say visually by making that choice i don't know the answer but it's not a it's not consistent and b it it doesn't seem to speak to anything thematically or story wise every time it's happening and and the inconsistency of that really takes you out so when you don't move from one environment to the next or like one yeah environment i guess scene to scene and have that be representative or symbolic of something and also you have inconsistency with the color palette it just becomes muddy and confusing and that's a lot of that middle section of the movie that i felt where i just was sort of like i feel like we're just kind of walking in circles yeah ditto um i mean a way like I, I mean, a way to look at that is that the color, those coloring choices, they they should just be a small aspect of something greater with how it's shot. Like, like I can see them talking about afterwards. Oh yeah, you know, doing this, desatting just these colors. It'll be, do this because it'll reinforce this, and there's this progression going on. But unless you are also doing that with the sort of the the bigger tools of where are you placing the camera? Are you moving it? Are you not? What are your lenses? Blah, blah, blah. It's just kind of too much like an afterthought, it feels like, those color choices. I continuously felt as though they had to frame out things. And what I mean by that is like, you know, you get to certain parts of the of the story where you would think you you'd want to back away and sort of sort of show the scope of the the place that they've arrived at one being there's that moment when they get to kind of a little canyon that that Bruder has to like walk through first and then he throws a rock back out to say that it's fine that we never get uh an establishing sense of where we actually are 
were really close in there with them. And I think that maybe it was just a product of where they were shooting that they were limited and had to shoot it that way, right? Because like two feet over was a a telephone pole or something. Yeah, they're in Malibu. (laughs) Exactly. And so, you you know, it felt to me like the limitations of where they were shooting was showing. And then the result was this kind of ambiguous style that doesn't really speak to anything. And it it hurts because it's distracting. I agree. There's uh, an ambiguous or just kind of non-style almost. But that's I I don't think a limited location is necessarily an excuse for that. I I don't either. and, And that's aside from like, you know, that's even... You could have just gotten, what, the second unit B-roll of actually in Montana or whatever. But still, even without that, just something about, like, feeling... I wanted to feel even more drawn into the characters. And, like, something I don't know. I always... I don't know. Maybe I like how I I think of it and approach it is at any time, how objective and subjective are you feeling with the characters? And it's Mm -hmm. it's it's a dance, you know, a lot of the times. Or it can be really one or the other and just i don't know whatever that that balance was maybe it was the thing that wasn't clicking i don't know it kind of going on here but this is i'm just really interested in because it's like and, and yeah and how it was definitely in something how it was shot but still just like what was it missing yeah there are some really pretty shots yeah but they're very few and far between and i will say it, it it I didn't ever feel like someone was going to pull out a cell phone or we were going to see a telephone pole. Like I did think it was, it was sure. I felt I felt in the world it was yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. It just yeah. felt constrained and maybe that was a choice, but it it felt very constrained to me for some reason. Like I yeah. never felt like I really knew where I was. Maybe it was too like it was lacking like a like it was all there in the, again the story, the performances ramping up attention. But not in like how it was shot. I wasn't ever feeling like the stakes were rising and how it was shot. But then like, but then I could say that's okay. Like what they were going for was just, you know, a quote unquote, like realism. Mm -hmm. We are just kind of watching things play out. But even then, like, like I was watching, um, this is so not this, these movies. So maybe it's a bad example, but I caught up on like the two main, uh, safety safety brothers movies uncut gems and good time yeah they're both great i really loved them but like thinking that what those movies are such a good reminder for me as like i always think and like that fault that style that i'll call you know realistic i'm I'm buying into the realism whether it's it's grainy it's shaky like all that's working for it but then i see in those those two movies there's still all these deliberate choices and executions of of color and and like doing and doing really specific things with framing and motion, um, that's sort of like the best of both worlds. Where I feel like this is a real, the real world I'm stepping into. Yet there's still all these cinematic things going on mm-hmm. that can hold both in tandem. Um, which this one was just kind of like, again, just kind of meh. <laughs> yeah, I'm just thinking. I don't think that the camera is used in this movie as as a way to tell the story. And that's a, I mean, that's sort of a weird thing to say. Like, what do I mean by that? But I think you can get a lot out of choices you make with camera moves 
specifically to support story elements or the state of mind of characters. And I never felt like the camera was connected to the characters or the story. That's, I think, Tim, what all this was adding up to and why we kept talking around it. That's, I think, the, the most spot-on, succinct way to yeah. put it. Which is, you know, a choice. But I think that it, it, that if that choice was that was made specifically, it ended up not working to the benefit of the film. And because of all that, just last but not least, yeah, maybe it was a little long. Great. That's all I have for what did <laughs> what not was, work. It's like two hours, 12 minutes or something like that. 15, 10. Ooh. Yeah, something like that. I think two hours, 15. That's too much. <laughs> it's just too much. Come on, guys. Like an, a big epic Western. It's it's cool. Like you can do that, but this just wasn't quite reaching those heights to, to not justify enough, it. Look, there's not enough story content to to justify more than maybe 100 minutes in my mind. Just mm-hmm. isn't. And also, where are you? Where are we getting those added minutes? Right? It's it's certainly not from B roll. It's not from establishing where we are in the visual like landscape. Which in a western, man, that's your bread and butter. Show us them vistas, baby. Right. I know. Well, I I will say though, it was it was cool. Even though I will say it was a little long, it, it didn't. It didn't feel super, super draggy. It was just, it's it's more for me, That's like, good. if it was shorter, it would be better. Yeah. But yeah. it didn't necessarily, I, w- I didn't get super bored in it. Yeah. So, right. well, whatever that's enough. worth. Cool dude. Great. A cool dude means Tim is ready for our next and last <laughs> section. <laughs> Here sure we does. go. Things of note. Uh, I always like to tell people where this was shot. Um, like I said, it was in the Malibu sort of creek, Malibu. You know, they shot MASH over there and all sorts of stuff, but also shot on the um, Paramount Ranch, which is kind of in the – it's on the other side of those mountains, um, somewhere that a lot of Westerns – I mean, that Western set was there for many, many years and burnt down a few years ago. Yeah, there's like a bunch of sets within that area or yep. like sort of sections or areas. So one of the main ones was the one where like the first two seasons of Westworld yep. were shot. That got burned down. Mm-hmm. I think I'm I think at this point they've rebuilt the majority of it, but yeah. Um it's a cool area and lots of very well-known things have been shot there. It's pretty pretty famous. I want to explore some more of these surrounding LA areas where all these old movies and Westerns were shot. Yeah. When we were looking for locations for our short film last year, um, we, we got in touch with a lot of these places and they just were outside of our budget and they're, they were so overbooked, right? Like there's like a two year waiting, uh, period at Paramount ranch for any, any open slots. And it's just like, well, how, how could you ever (laughs) schedule that? (laughs) crazy and then it burned guess, down so that yeah that changed the whole scope of it anyway it makes you think like, is it just westworld like what how are you <laughs> planning this I mean, really? um what yeah. else uh, 
my, well, here, here's a little thought I had. I was never sure, still not sure, if I like the title. I mm. like, I didn't like it going in. I liked it more when it ended. Like I felt the, the bone tomahawk, like the, the power of the weapon and seeing their bone tomahawks. But something about it just didn't capture the, hmm. the, the vibe, so to speak, at the end. I don't know. I keep going back and forth. I, that's why it's a thing of note. I'm just not sure if I like the title. That's interesting. I think it's fine. Yeah. I think it's okay. My, uh, my favorite little thing of note I got out of this film. <laughs> this is, uh, could have put in what worked, but didn't seem too appropriate. But it was when uh, I think it's Chicory is explaining something he saw or whatever at the beginning while he was out on a ramble. <laughs> yeah, man. And I fell in love with that that word exists. Yep. It's it's Tim. Like I it's the perfect word for like what I love to do here in Hollywood. Uh not so much in these days with everything closed down, but like the 10 years I've lived here, I've always loved to like pick a direction, Los Fleas or Hollywood. Mm-hmm. I live right between the two and go on a ramble. And what is the ramble? So a definition noun ramble. A leisurely excursion for pleasure, especially an aimless walk. (laughs) Amazing. And then to ramble, to move aimlessly from place to place, to explore idly. And yeah, that's that's what I like. See what you get into. Walk around. The title of one of the great Led Zeppelin songs of all time. Ramble Ramble on. on. Yep. (laughs) Ding, ding, dong. Yeah, and it's it's so it's it's I'm not I'm like hey maybe maybe this friends around like maybe I'll just wander into this old place I've been to a million times maybe I'll wander to this new place I never tried before maybe I'll go to this check out this place that just opened maybe there's a movie premiere going on I can scope out I'll pick this direction oh there's a park I never found oh it's it's run into someone going for a ramble I don't yep. just, just, let me let me go let me go on my ramble <laughs> about my <laughs> ramble. <laughs> God, I'm just, I'm, I got to use that word now. It's great. It's, it's, I, there, there's, we don't have like going for a walk doesn't capture it because that's too right. much like you have a clear destination or, <laughs> you know, yep. maybe it's just for exercise. No, man. I do like, I think, you know, the language of the late 19th century was pretty, pretty interesting. <laughs> there are definitely terms that we like. We got to bring back. I, I can't think of any like rambles are a great example of one, but they had a way of, you know, I think trying to you know describe things in a more fancy way. <laughs> Just go watch um, Deadwood for like five minutes. <laughs> it's completely wall to wall of those weird expressions and idioms and stuff like that it's it's great great did you have anything other uh or any other things of note not really i mean i just i remember when this came out and it got a lot there was a lot of buzz around it it it, you know it was nominated for a lot of stuff in the sort of indie film circuit um the festival circuit um you know and that's great Good times. I, I don't really like I wanted to look and see what what else has this director done since this. And there was like a couple like Mel Gibson, Vince Vaughn movies. What? 
Yeah, brawl in cell block 99 and dragged across concrete. Now, I've never heard of either of those, so... Hmm, interesting. Yeah. Weird. Vince Vaughn and Mel Gibson. Hmm. Interesting <laughs> <Yep>. pair. <laughs> anyway, cool. They they pair well based on um, how they are outside of of their movies, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Great, Tim. Well, if that's it for Bone Tomahawk, we got our recommendations for this week. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Honestly, having just mentioned it, I'm going to recommend Dead Deadwood, the series. I haven't seen the movie. Did you see the movie? No, I've only seen like a couple episodes of the show. I liked it, but just for whatever reason, didn't follow through. I have not finished it. Um, I think I'm like two, I forget how many seasons there are. I'm about two seasons in, I think. It's really good. I need to get back on track. Uh, but man, just Westerns, dude. I love Westerns. And Deadwood is like, (laughs) in the last 30 years, probably the best Western that I think is, is really been out there. (laughs) Cool. The best Western. I stayed in a best Western, uh couple months ago <laughs> which has nothing to do with westerns like when, ah the words best western yes yep. <laughs> um hey well when does this episode release let's see well no no i'll save that one for later i'll just get i'm just going in order of how i've watched things um well now i can finally recommend dead something that i've been recommend recommend dead <laughs> since it came out in 2009 but you know after watching climax i finally wanted to watch another gasper no movie that mm. had been on my watch list for a long time and i was embarrassed to say i hadn't seen uh but i finally watched enter the void oh yeah what you watched think? it i thought it was great i'm recommending it Hell of yeah. course i loved it was Tokyo. It was like Tokyo psychedelics, out of body stuff. It's all very much my bag, baby. Yeah, cool. That's fun. I should revisit it. I I only saw it once. Maybe I don't even remember. A while ago. Anyway, yeah, that was. I finally saw it, guys. So hey, if you've been recommending it to me, there you go. Now I'll just recommend Dead It right back to you. Cool. Gasper, no, keep it up. I'm excited to see what else you've got. Yeah. All right. All right, Tim, you your ready? turn to pull from the hat. Yeah. It's my turn. Here we go. I'm going to pull this one right here. Oh, going way back in time to 1932. Vampire. Or vampire. <laughs> oh, yeah. Vampire. Oh, there's a, there's a, supposed to be a good criterion release of this. Sweet. Maybe yeah, we'll I'm see sure. if our, our, our favorite video rental place has it. Hell yeah. We'll get some Haxon <laughs> vibes. Yeah. I yeah, no, I've I have not I have not seen this. You have not seen it. I've I've of course seen Nosferatu like mm-hmm. a bunch, but uh cool. I'm excited to see what this one's all about. Yeah, it should be fun. I've um, been wanting great. to watch this. I, I right before we started doing the podcast, I was like about to watch it. And then we, you know. It it got put on the list, and I was like, "Oh, all right, got to hold off." <laughs> Great, Carl Theodore Dreyer. Yeah, we know that name. It's the director. Yep. All right. Great. 
look forward to that. I'm I'm <laughs> I always get excited for the the pre two thousand ones mm-hmm. and these old ones that we haven't seen. It feels like big check marks to to check off. Yeah, cool. Well, until next week for vampire, <laughs> vampire, you could find us at dismemberinghorror.com, wherever you found us, at uh, our Instagram, Twitter, all those good things. That's true. Is that all you got to say about that, Tim? Yeah. Just want to wish everyone well. A happy mm-hmm. December. Thanks for God. listening. You guys are great. You're so great. Made, made it to the end of 2020 here. Indeed. Well, everyone, as we as we just said, we do mean it. Thank you so much for listening. Go and have yourself a ramble. Yeah, have a ramble, and we'll see you next time. Good <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs>